Destiny is the plan that is concluded in the mind of God before we're born. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 to 12. A plan concluded in the mind of God before we're born. Destiny is the only thing that gives us satisfaction. If we pursue any other thing, it doesn't give us satisfaction. We can make a living, but we can't be fulfilled. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 19 says, A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. Destiny is the only thing that allows you and I to have deep-seated satisfaction in our lives. And we need this wind to blow to assist us in destiny because on the journey of destiny, there are many obstacles. Some of these obstacles are policies and procedures and, and, and processes of governments, of institutions around us, of, of organizations. Some of them are people that just obstruct our lives and some of them are principalities and powers. You remember we did this on Thursday. These are all the things we learned on Thursday. And yesterday, we moved into another dimension and we asked ourselves the question, when, what happens when the wind blows? So we spoke about when the wind blows. And we narrowed it down to Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. And we spoke about the fact that when the wind blows, God remembers. And we said, what does it mean for God to remember? When God remembers us, it means that, it doesn't mean that he has forgotten us before. It just means that when he remembers, he focuses on us. Number two, it means that he attends to us and to our issues. And number three, when God remembers, Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 15, it means he visits us. When God remembers us, he visits us. Jeremiah 15, 15. And we ask ourselves the question, what does God remember? He remembers people. God remembered Abraham. God remembered Rachel. Genesis chapter 13, verse 22. God remembers his covenant. Psalm 105, verse 8. God remembers his covenant, number two. And God remembers his word, number three. We spoke about that. Then number four, we said Psalm 20, verse 3, God remembers our offerings. You remember? Yes, sir. You should remember. <laughs> because we, we prayed yesterday that God should remember us. We said something very critical yesterday. That if God does not remember us, people can't remember us. And I pray for you one more time that God will remember you. Amen. So today we're going to continue. Um, yesterday we asked ourselves the question, when the wind blows. So today we're going to continue with that same subtitle, when the wind blows, part two. What happens when the wind blows? When the wind blows, part two. What happens when the wind blows? Well, today we're going to take it up from Exodus chapter 10, verse 19. When the wind blows. What happens? Exodus chapter 10, the 19th verse. It says, And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locust away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in the territory of Egypt. Now, for context, what has happened is that in Exodus chapter 10, verse 13, verse 13, the wind had brought in the locust into the land of Egypt. This locust was so thick, the mass of the locust was so thick that they started destroying everything in Egypt. So the Bible is telling us here now that when the wind blew, blew, there was a turn around. Verse 19 of Exodus chapter 10 says, The Lord turned the wind. The Lord turned the wind. So today we want to focus on this thing called turn around. When the Lord sent the wind in Exodus 10, 19, it brought about a turning point, a turn around for them. I pray for somebody here today, you will experience a turning point. Amen. So quickly then, let's quickly look at a few things. So I want to talk about turning point. What, what, does, what am I talking about? A turning point is a, is a time of decisive change. Decisive change. A time of a significant change in our lives. That's the turning point. A turning point is not a time of change. It's a time of significant change. A time of decisive change. 
That's what the turning point is. Not just any change, but significant change. Turning point is the time for significant change. A turning point is a time of a change that affects our future. Listen, a time for a change that affects our future. A time where there's a change and it affects our future. You know, when I, every time I talk about turning point, I remember clearly the story of how I met my wife. I, my uncle was having a birthday party and um, I invited two of my friends that we went to pharmacy school together. And they came for this party uh, and we, you know, party was in, this was in the, in the month of March. And uh, we're having a chat in the party and all of that. Anyway, on our way home, we started having a bit of an argument in the car, the three of us. We're just having a bit of an argument in the car and the argument was going on and on. And my friend who was driving, uh, he, he missed his turning. He was supposed to go west of London, uh, sorry, east of London. He just made, missed the turning and started going north of London. On his way towards north of London, while we were arguing, he remembered that one of his own cousins was having a birthday party on that day. So he said, you know what, my cousin is having a birthday party today. You guys, you stop arguing in the car. Let's just go there. Now, remember, he missed his turning. <laughs> so we decided that, okay, that's going to be the way we're going to calm ourselves down. Let's go to this party. It was about 10, 30, 11 p.m. at night. We got to the party. We knocked on the door. Nobody was opening the door. Knocked on the door again. After about three or four times, somebody came and opened the door. These people were Christians. They had gone to bed. They finished the party. <laughs> and um, <laughs> they, were normal, they were normal people. They, <laughs> they finished the party. I mean, I said, wow. So one of the ladies opened the door and said, wow. Like, what are you doing here? I said, wow. You know, so I brought my friends. I said, wow. So we, we, we said, okay, come in, come in. So we sat down. The ladies had gone upstairs to sleep. So anyway, they went to wake them up. It happens that one of the ladies that had gone upstairs to sleep was my wife today. So she came, she sat down. It happens that she sat beside me. And then the rest, like they say, is history. It was that turning. Instead of going east, she, the, my friend turned and started going north of London. And he remembered. See, a combination of what we did yesterday and today. He remembered. And it was a turning point for me. Because I now, that's how I met my wife. And there was a significant change that, affect, that is affecting my future. Because it affected my future then, and it's still affecting my future today. Definitely, I will not be where I am today without God, no doubt about that. But definitely, I will also not be where I am today without the support of my wife. Amen. I think we should give God praise for that. Thank you, Jesus. When significant changes happen that affect the future of a person, that's the turning point. A turning point is also a time in our lives when a notable miracle happens. Acts of, Acts of Apostles chapter 4, verse 16. Acts of Apostles chapter 4, verse 16 says that a notable miracle has been done in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. There are miracles that people can argue away. And they can say, oh, they can explain it away. But there are miracles, there are things that God does in our life that nobody can argue away. The people said that a notable miracle has been done. It is evident to all. So a type of testimony that is evident to everybody that you cannot, nobody can argue with. I pray such a testimony will be your portion in Jesus' mighty name. So this is what a turning point is. This is what a turning point, turning point is. You remember the story, and uh, let's look at it, in Psalm 126, Psalm 126, verse 1 to 6. You see what it says in Psalm 126. It says, when the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, we're like those who dream. In other words, 
when a turning point happens, initially it's unbelievable. It says, you, you, you can't just imagine, you say, well, am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? Then keep going, please. Then it says, it says, our mouth was filled with laughter. That's the manifestation of turning point. You begin to laugh. Your tongue with singing. I don't know about you, maybe you've ever had a testimony, a miracle that God gives you, that you compose your own song. You, you don't sing the song, everybody's singing. You just you find a song. You put a song together yourself. Whether you can sing very well or you can't sing very well, you just come together with the song. If you've ever trusted God for something serious and God brings it about and surprises you, you compose your own song at home. Can I hear an email from somebody? He said, our tongue was filled with singing. He said, then they said among the nations, you know, now these are people that are not even believers. They said among themselves that God has done great things for them. Now, why would the nations that don't believe in God say that God has done great things for you? Because they can see the testimony and they know that the testimony is bigger than your talent. They know that this particular testimony is bigger than you. So the only explanation for this manifestation is that God is the one that did this. I pray for you. May God do great things in your life. In the name of Jesus Christ. Keep going, please. It goes on to say, the Lord has grown great things for us and we are glad. Verse 4 says, bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams of the south. Okay? Then it goes on to say, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Those who go continually weeping, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with him. That will be our portion in Jesus' name. Amen. Very quickly then, very quickly, when we talk about turning point, let's try and break this down a bit. When we talk about turning point, it basically means two very simple things. It means something, God puts a stop to something, and God starts something new. A turning point is when God puts a stop to something. It's also a time, at the same time, when God starts something. So in, in Psalm 126 that we read, it was the story of the children of Israel when they were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. God has said to them that because of their sins, they will go into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. So they were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Actually, 67 years, but Let's just say 70 years. But one day, if you, for you to understand how bad the situation was, in Psalm 137, the writer of the psalm says, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat, and there we wept. So it was a situation that brought tears to them. But one day, through a man called King Cyrus, he issued an edict, a decree, and said the children of Israel should be free. One day, the Bible says this in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Ezra, chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord steered up the spirit of Cyrus the king, and he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom. And that proclamation is what freed the children of Israel. So God put a stop to their captivity, and God started the process of them going back into their own land. I'm praying for somebody here today. May God put a stop to something you don't want. Amen. And may God start something you so desired. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the question that you have to ask yourself quickly is, what is it in your life that you want God to put a stop to? And what is it in your life that you want God to start tonight? So, because we're going to be believing God for this, and I'm trusting God that as you pray tonight, 
I have no doubt about it. Something very significant will shift for you. So what do you want God to put a stop to? And what do you want God to start afresh in your life tonight? So let's look at a few things that, let's look at three things that I trust, I'm trusting God for you generally, that God will put a stop to. Then we look at three things that I'm also trusting God, that God will start in your life. The first thing I'm trusting God for God to put a stop to in your life is bad news. Amen. I said God will put a stop to bad news. In the book of Luke chapter 7 verse 11 to 15, Luke chapter 7 verse 11 to 15, it tells us the story of a woman that has only one child. This son died. We call this story, this is the story of the widow of Nain. The husband had died, then this son also died. And they were on their way to bury this man, this young boy. As they were on their way to bury this young boy, he was already in the coffin. Jesus met them at the gate. And Jesus met them at the gate. The Bible says he touched the coffin. Let's look at verse 14. When he touched the coffin, you know, and he, he touched the open coffin, and those who carried him, they stood still. Remember, they were on their way to the grave. And Jesus said to the young man, I said to you, arise. Now, after the boy woke up and he arose from the dead, they couldn't go to the grave anymore. He put a stop to the bad news. He put a stop to that procession to the grave. The natural thing to do when somebody dies is to go to the grave. That's the natural process. But once Jesus touched that coffin, he stopped that procession of bad news. And prayed over you today, any area where you have experienced bad news, God will put a stop to it. You see, there are seasons in our lives when suddenly... It seems that it's bad news after bad news after bad news. I don't know if you've ever been through a season or anybody here has ever known anybody that's gone through a season like that. The Bible says in Mark chapter 5 verse 29, there's a woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says this issue of blood was just flowing constantly. It was bad news flowing constantly. Bad news was flowing constantly. But this woman touched the hem of the garment of Jesus. And the Bible says the flow of blood stopped. The flow of the bad news stopped. I pray for you one more time. May the flow of bad news concerning your life, may it stop in Jesus' name. There was a city called Jericho. The Bible says that that city was pleasant, but the water was bad. Wherever the water flowed to, there was infertility. And the Bible says the prophet of God called Elisha came in there. And he spoke and spoke at the source of the water. And said, may God heal that water. And God healed that water. And there was no bad news anymore. I'm praying for you. Wherever the source of the bad news is, Today, in the name of Jesus, may God bring healing to that source. In the mighty name of Jesus, so shall it be. In Jesus' mighty name. God can put a stop to bad news. Number two, number two, God puts a stop to stagnation. When there's a turnaround, God puts a stop to stagnation. When there is a turnaround, God puts a stop to stagnation. In Acts of Apostles chapter 3, verse 1 to 10, the Bible says this man was at the beautiful gate, and we learn from this story later on, that the man has been there for 40 years, and he was lame from his mother's womb. But one day, when Peter and John met him, they said to, to him, look at us. And the man was expecting to receive something financial from them. But they gave him not something, for fi- not, not, not something financial, but something in his future. Something that changed the, the whole dynamics of his life. Peter said in verse 6, such as I have I give unto you. And when Peter touched him, the Bible says the man started rising. Something that has not happened for 40 years. I don't care how long the stagnation has been going on. 
God Almighty in the by His power tonight destroys the yoke in Jesus' name. Can, can you give me a bit more volume on this? Just give me a little bit more. Thank you. Thank you. May the yoke be destroyed in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I know, I know that God can put a stop to stagnation. When I was living in London, England, I was going through a serious challenge at one time in my life. And um, though I trained as a pharmacist, I needed to do my exams in London, the exams in London for foreign graduates to be able to practice pharmacy. And as at that time, as at that time, writing the exams was going to take about a thousand pounds. Now I must let you know, a thousand pounds is a lot of money. I got to let you know this uh, because it was a lot of money for me then. Because I was working then, as at that time, uh, in a restaurant called Burger King, and I was earning three pounds an hour. So you do the calculation. Three pounds an hour is <laughs> it's going to take a long time. And I was earning 100 and about 120 pounds a week. You know, that is the day I do 40 hours. The week I do 40 hours. Because I don't, they don't usually roast me for 40 hours. Sometimes 25, sometimes 30, and all of that. And three pounds an hour. And of course, by the time the queen, her majesty the queen, has taken her own cut out of my pay. Are you following now? Yeah. I have probably maybe about uh, 90 pounds if I have done a 120 pound week. About 90 pounds left. I had to buy travel card. You know, travel card, you know, like presto card, 20 pounds. I have to pay for my bed seat. They call it bed seat. In Africa, we call it face me and face you. <laughs> but bed seat is a house where it has many, many rooms. Uh, it has about six rooms. I was living in Streatham Hill in London, England. The bed seat was 60 pounds a week. So by the time I paid 60 pounds a week, travel card, 10, 15 dollars. I paid, I have only 10, 15 dollars left, pounds left. Imagine how many, how long it would take me to save a thousand pounds. You're not listening to me now. <laughs> I was trapped in stagnation. I was trapped in stagnation. I didn't like the job of working as a crew member in Burger King, uh, but I was trapped and I couldn't get enough money to, to do my exams. Meanwhile, and the people that, my, the people that, uh, uh, that, uh, my siblings and my family back in Nigeria at that time, after about three months of a honeymoon period, they started making demands. Do right. uh, you understand what I just said? They started making demands. I mean, it's all natural. It's only natural. It's only natural. So I was feeling under pressure. One day, one day, I, I was trying to, I was trusting God. God, just give me another job that can give me more money. One day I went to Tesco. I, it was my day off. I went to Tesco supermarket. Tesco supermarket is like um, a big grocery store, like Love Laws or something like that. So I went there. As I went there, I saw a newspaper. I was at the newspaper stand. So my wife was trying to pick up some things. I was at the newspaper stand. I pick up the newspaper just to read free newspaper, keep myself busy while she's trying to make up her mind and get some cheap bargains. And while I was doing that, opening, opening the newspaper, the security officer came to me to say, you know, because he's noticed that I've been there for maybe 30, 35 minutes. So came to tell me that, excuse me, um, you know, he said, can I help you? That's what they normally say, which is a way of saying, put the newspaper down, get out. <laughs> but he said it nice. He said, excuse me, can I, can I help you? Can I be of help to you? I said, um, no, no, I'm just uh, reading the newspaper. So I got the language. So I put the newspaper down. I stepped, I took three or four steps away, and something just said to me, why don't you ask him if you can get a job in that security firm? This guy happened to be a Ghanaian guy, Christian Odui. I can't forget his name. And I woke up and I said, excuse me. I said, um, you know, this firm, are they still recruiting? I would like to, you know, find out. He said, yes, they're recruiting right now. I said, oh, really? He gave me the number of a contact and they gave me a job. Now, you might think that that's not a serious testimony, but it's such a serious <laughs> testimony because now as a security, and I will tell you why. 
As a security officer now, they gave me a job. I was now working in a place called Chipside, which is a street in the city of London, just by the Bank of England. I was now, they now gave me this roster where I was working 82 and the half hours a week. So what I was making before in one week, I was not, in two weeks, I was making in a week now, and more. And that job, while it required me to stand for a while, but eventually, two months into the job, they were doing some construction by the side of the building to expand the Tesco. So now put me as a security officer in charge of the construction. So most of my time, I sat down. Guess what I was doing? Reading my Bible. I took one amplified Bible. I remember clearly, I bought a big amplified Bible like this there. Pounds something. I sat down with that amplified Bible. I read it several times. Not knowing that God was training me to be a pastor. I started reading. Started reading. I'll be reading and I'll be writing. I'll be reading and I'll be writing. I'll be reading. Whatever I find in the Bible, I'll be writing that. I was a very baby Christian, but I was saying to myself, this is the only thing like way I can keep myself going. Not knowing that God was training me for what I'm doing today. A lot of the scriptures I'm able to quote now, it was then that I put it in my head. Since there was nothing I was doing. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying. And that's how I was able to get money, put money together, put money together. So listen to me very carefully. God put a stop to stagnation for me at that point. I'm praying for somebody here today. May God change your level from tonight. Please say a better amen to that. And from time to time over the last years, I've seen God really do quite a lot. Number three, what will God stop in our lives tonight? Sickness. Sicknesses. In the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, there was a man called a leper. And this leper came to Jesus and said to Jesus, I know that you can heal me if you are willing. And Jesus said, I am willing. Verse 3, and Jesus touched him. Why are we using this particular story? Because leprosy is incurable by medical science. It's manageable but incurable and extremely contagious. If Jesus can heal leprosy that is, that is incurable, he can heal anything. Yeah. You've got to understand Amen. this. He can heal anything. Sicknesses has to do with the body, but sicknesses also has to do with the emotions. Some of us are not physically sick, but we're emotionally not okay. Some of us are emotionally okay a little bit, we're physically okay, but we are psychologically damaged. No, 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 listen, listen. Because of the way we were raised up, we were raised up in, in, in a family, in places that were dysfunctional. Many, at least about half of the people of my generation grew up in polygamous homes. Polygamous homes, and for you know, and it's not, of course, it's not common anymore. But polygamous homes, can I talk? Yes, sir. Can I speak a bit more? Polygamous homes is the homes whereby the man has numerous wives. Another word for that is complexity upon complexity. <laughs> That's the word for that. That's what it means. It means complexity. You see, in a polygamous home, you are trained to be dysfunctional. You, are, you have to be dysfunctional to survive. If you are not dysfunctional, you can't survive. So you, what is not normal is what is normal to you. When, when, you, when you just finish eating, you are about to leave the room, your mom tells you when they ask you, have you eaten, you say no. So you are taught to lie. You have to survive. That, those, are the, those are the skill set you have to have to survive. When you go out and they, they put food in front of you and you're very hungry, but it's not the food from your mom. You are taught not to eat, even though you're hungry. I don't know if you hear what I'm saying. 
When you are going west, you are taught to say you are going east. Even when you get admission into a tertiary institution, like a university, you are taught not to say. When they ask of you, they say, oh, he's going to meet one of his brothers in the something, something, someplace. You never say the truth. You are taught to be dysfunctional. Then these people get, they grow up, come into Canada, go into other countries, they get married. This skill set that they have learned over the years, they brought it, they bring it into their marriage. And the marriage becomes dysfunctional. The wife has to be hiding some things from me because that's the way she survived. <laughs> so the, the wife sees the sisters of the husband as rivals, as rival wives, and has to tap into the wisdom of her mother. The way her mother survived in the polygamous home for her to survive in. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It becomes dysfunctional. Some of us have been raised in dysfunctional homes where the father was never there. The man was never there. He perhaps paid our school fees, but that's all. We never saw him. We never grew up under a father that was near at home. We never knew what it meant for the, your father to say, bring your homework. What did you do in school today? We grew up in dysfunctional homes. Now, today now, so today now, people are living under circumstances where the man never knew what it meant to be under a father. And he's trying to be a father. Where will he learn it from? I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying. You, you check it today in America. Most people of my pigmentation in America, over 60% of them, have grown up in single homes. Single homes. No fathers. And they don't know how to, they don't know how, they don't know what it means to be a man. They don't know what it means to be a man. Dysfunctionality. But God can heal all these sicknesses. Can I hear an amen? God can heal all these sicknesses. If you're not very careful, some of the psychological damage that we've been through growing up, some of those things can still affect us till this day. Till this day. I remember when I got to London, I've said the story several times publicly, but it just, it, it, it proves the point. One day, I was there in London. I grew up, I mean, we didn't have much when I grew up. I grew up in a lower middle class family. We didn't have much, but we had a lot of love. Too much love. <laughs> but we didn't have much financially. But I remember one of those days, I was sitting in London Saturday morning, and I decided to um, um, have what you call yam and egg, which is one of my favorite, praise God. <laughs> so, so for some of us that don't know that, it's just simple meal. So I was trying to have it, and I remember in London at that time, a tuba of yam was three pounds, just three pounds, three pounds, but it was expensive, right, three pounds, because there were other things that were cheaper than that. And I woke up Saturday morning, and I took a tuba of yam, and I was slicing it to cook. And my aunt walked downstairs and said to me, what are you doing? And I said, oh, well, I'm just trying to cook some yam and all of that. She said, no, no, don't do that. That the yam is for my uncle. She said, the yam is not for you. Don't cook the yam. The yam is not for you. You know, that thing so affected me. I was an unbeliever at that time. It so affected me. What is in the yam? <laughs> I was so upset, but what can I do? I'm living under her roof. What can I do? You know, it's so upset me. And what even upset me the most was that when I told, when I told my dad, my parents at that time, they just, you know, they dismissed it as, it's what, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. But it was a big deal to me. <laughs> Nobody has ever told me in my house not to eat whatever is available. Now, this is the first time in my life I had caught the, I just dropped this, the knife, boom. <laughs> Went upstairs, just sat down. She came to me later, about two, three hours later, and said, you know, about two, three days later, 
to say, are you not going to be eating? Are you not eating? I've cooked. I said, no, I'm not eating. I'm not eating anything again in this house. I was very upset. I'm trying to explain something to you about psychological damage. That thing so affected me that up to this point in my life, up to this point, if I want to eat, my wife knows. Even if it's going to be, even if I'm not going to eat a piece of meat, there better be a lot of meat around the food. <laughs> if I'm not going to eat meat, even if I don't feel like eating meat, you better, because if you put only one or two, I'm not going to take it. Because that thing really did to what it said to me was that you are not good enough. It was beyond the year. It was a statement to me that you're not good enough. So today now when I want to eat, people around me, they know it's like a feast. My wife said, but you can't finish. I said, hey, hey, you know that it's not about finishing this thing. It's not about finishing it. I'm trying to repair something. <laughs> uh, hallelujah. As my, my mind might be simple like that, but some of us, it's a, it's a lot more. It's a lot worse than that. Some people have lived in houses where uncles or domestic helps abuse them, touch them inappropriately. And today now, they find it difficult to trust any man. They find it difficult to trust anybody around them. If we see a man, they, they, it just reminds them when they see somebody in power that because I was touching appropriately, that, that begins to affect them. There are many men today that are misbehaving sexually because they were abused. Selah. This is sickness. And God can heal the sickness. Can I hear an amen? amen? God can touch our mind. Amen. He can touch our emotions. He can touch our physical body. Amen. I pray for you today that God will bring healing to you. Amen. Oh, say a big amen, amen to that. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Start. What? So let's talk about starting. What will God start? What can I trust God for God to start so that we can start praying now in a few minutes? So start. I'm trusting God for you today that God will start a process of restoration for you. Amen. <laughs> in the book of 2 Kings, you know the story, chapter 6, verse 5 to 7, chapter 6, verse 5 to 7, the Bible tells us about the man that, that had the, the axe head that was lost. It was borrowed and it was missing. And the man went to the master and said, alas, master, it was borrowed. And the man took a stick, threw it down there, and the axe head floated. And he told him, pick it up, verse 7. Restoration. I'm trusting God for restoration for you. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm trusting God for major restoration for you. Amen. One of the things that when we experience a turnaround is that God brings about a process. You see, when the children of Israel left Babylon, you will have thought that after 70 years, naturally they will go back to the land and go and restart all over again. But that's not what happened. They didn't restart all over again. The king Cyrus, when he issued the decree, he also issued another decree to allow them to have access to the treasury of the king. And he restored all of their treasures. You remember the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they came out with silver and gold. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah. They came out with silver and gold. That's what God, how God operates. When, you, when he brings you out, when he turns things around for you, he restores your dignity. He restores things to you. I'm looking at people here today that God will bring major restoration. Oh, say a big amen to that. God will bring major restoration to you. Let, let me quickly encourage your faith here a bit. Please, don't stop thinking about how it will happen. Don't think about how it will happen. The Bible never tells us to figure out how. 
When Mary asked the, Holy, the, the angel Gabriel the question, how shall this thing be, since I know not a man? Luke chapter 1, verse 34 and 35. How shall this thing be, since I know not a man? The question, the way the Holy Spirit, the angel answered it was very simple. The angel said, the Holy Spirit. Mary said to the angel, how can this thing be, since I know not a man? Verse 35, the angel Gabriel said, answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Okay, but it, hasn't, it still hasn't explained the whole biological process to me. The biological process is that a seed must meet an egg, fertilize the egg, then the egg, after a day or two, will get burrowed into the, into the walls of the uterus. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the way it's supposed to be. But now I'm saying, I'm asking you a simple question. Then you're telling me I will not meet with the man. There will be no seed. So how shall it be? It's a logical question. What was the answer? The Holy Spirit. That doesn't explain it. But it basically is telling you, take your eyes off high to happen. Just focus on the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's the answer it's giving you. When you start getting yourself bogged down, you're hearing that oh, there will be restoration. You're thinking, okay, I lost one or two houses before because I couldn't pay my mortgage. How is God going to do that now? How will it happen? Will it not suddenly call me and give me back my house? Now you're trying to figure out how. When God is going to restore, you leave that part to Him. You just have to do the believing. Can I hear an amen? amen? You do the believing. If you really start really sitting down to understand the Bible very well, you will understand something in the Bible that will boost your faith. God has a solution to every problem before the problem exists. There is no problem that God will permit to exist without first having a solution. Before the problem starts, God, the reason why God permitted anything to happen to us at all as an issue is because he has a solution. When God created Adam and Eve, God knew they would sin against him. So the solution to Adam and sin was not just Jesus Christ dying on the cross 2,000 years ago. Thousands of years after, after Adam and sin had sinned. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. Look at it. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. Look at what it says. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life. Life of the Lamb. This Lamb was slain. Where was it slain? Before the foundation of the world. He was slain before. So Jesus was slain before the solution. God already knew that Adam was sin. He had, he had provided the Lamb for himself before the foundation of the world. He solved the problem before the problem came. You have to understand that anything you're going through today, the reason why God permitted it at all is because there's a solution. Amen. There's a solution. Amen. There's a solution. You and I don't know that solution, but there is a solution. Amen. Convince yourself. Say to yourself, there is a solution. Amen. Say it again. There is a solution. Amen. One more time. Convince yourself, there is a solution. Amen. What Satan tries to do all the time, and you have to listen to this, Satan does this a lot for Christians. He tries to bring you into the dimension of logic and tells you if the God is going to do it, how will God do it? He begins to bring ideas into your mind. If God is going to sort out this problem, how will he give it? How will he do it? And you also try to figure it out. And Satan says, you see? You see? It can't happen. It can't happen. It can't happen. But what you have to do is that what Holy Spirit tries to do is to take you to the realm of faith, not logic. Because I figure something out with God. One plus one is not two. Two plus two is not four. That's this. One plus one is two on the earth. But with God, it's not like that. Why do I say that? Anybody that can take 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children, and feed them with five pieces of fish, of bread, right? And two pieces of fish, right? That's for 5,000 men. 
Then when he was going to feed 4,000 men, he used seven pieces of bread. You see, it doesn't make sense. If there are less men, it should be four pieces of bread. Mathematically, are you following that? Yeah. 5,000 men, five, five pieces of bread. 4,000 men, come on. He used seven, but he should have used four. But it's starting to tell you that <laughs> mathematics is not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with anointing. The anointing just needs something to work with. That's all. It just needed something in the natural to work with. So stop trying to figure it out. Listen, listen. I couldn't pay my rent in Mississauga. I was going through a big challenge. I've said this a lot publicly. I was going through a big challenge. I couldn't pay my rent. And I was the pastor of the church. The church was growing. Things were working out. Well, I couldn't pay my rent. I was facing financial challenge. And I, I, my landlord took me to the Mississauga Rental Tribunal because I couldn't pay my rent. Yes, 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 it's true. I've been through a few things. Don't let this one deceive you. <laughs> I've been through a few stuff. He took me to the tribunal, and I was praying to God, praying to God. So many, 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 many years ago, obviously. So we got to the tribunal. It's a true life story. Mrs. Saga, rental tribunal. We got to the tribunal, my wife and I. As we got to the tribunal, we're going to stand before the tribunal judge. And um, I won't belabor you with all the details, but one of the things that happened that was so amazing was that on our way into the tribunal, tribunal uh, uh, center, the room that we're going to use for the case. We passed a particular room. I saw a lady there. I wanted to ask the lady, uh, where is the room and all of that? So I went in. I asked her, excuse me, ma. She said, uh, yeah. I said, uh, please, where is room so-and-so? Room so-and-so we have. She said, um, it's just down the road, the corridor. She said, do you have a case there? We said, yes. She said, um, do you have a lawyer or something? Somebody's a lawyer. We said, we don't have a lawyer. Huh? She said, you don't have a lawyer. She said, come in. We came in. She said, what, what are you trying to do? We said, this is what is happening with our lawyer. She said, I can represent you on the corridor. That's how I found out. She said, I will represent you. I said, oh, really? She looked at, you know, she, she took the agreement that we signed with the landlord. She looked at it within, and I'm not exaggerating, within 30 seconds, she found a technicality that we can use to negotiate. Within 30 seconds, a technicality. She, she said, based, she just wrote, I just saw her writing down. He said, based on this technicality, we're going to negotiate with the landlord. He said, but you have to go to the case. So I said, all right. I went to the case. The, la the judge asked me, I said, I'm a pharmacist by training. I'm doing pastor now. I'm not earning anything. And this is what I'm doing. And so that's why I can't pay my rent. It's a very simple thing. The, landlord, <laughs> the judge said, look. <laughs> he said, what about your wife? I said, well, she's a business analyst. She lost her job. She's a contractor. That's why we're in this situation. So the man said, OK. Then our lawyer presented. And the man called the lawyer and said, and said to the landlord, his lawyer, I said, this thing should go to mediation. Because of the technicality. What was the technicality? You know, it's a very simple technicality. I'll tell you. The technicality is very simple. The person that owns the house, the house is in the name of the mother of the man. The house is in the name of the mother of the landlord. So in the court, but I know that the man is a landlord, you understand? <laughs> it shows that the house is in the name of his mother. So, but he is the one that wrote the thing and took me to court. So the court said he has no standing. <laughs> because his mother is the one that owns yeah. so I said I said, yes, give it to him <laughs> but I know that later on they will restructure that part you know what I'm saying the mother will now be the one to take us to court but for now <laughs> for today <laughs> they threw the thing out so they said we should go and talk so the man came to me and came to, to talk my wife and I and said so what do you want to do I said I'm ready to, to leave the house just give me about a month he said are you sure I said I'm ready with the mediator. So we signed. I'm telling you a true life story. We signed that we're going to leave the house in a month. 
that the man does not need to. And after I left that place, I called, I said to Tom, say, let's call the real estate agent to look for a house for us. Now, this is the man that's struggling to pay his rent. <laughs> so it's not logical. But we started looking for house. And this is a true life story. The guy that looked for the house for me is your friend that looked for the church for you. One of my sons in church. He looked for the house for me. Then, I, I didn't know it was going to be that fast. Within days, he found the house. But listen to this very powerful story. He found the house within days. He said, Pastor, I found this house. I found that house. I will be delaying it because I don't have down payment. I didn't even know there was a down payment needed like that. But I was just telling him, I don't like that house. Why don't you find another one for me? All of a sudden, some couple, some about three people in the church stood up and said to my wife, that you know, you've been working hard. They just said this. They didn't know what we were going through because we didn't tell anybody. We didn't tell anybody, including the agent, you know. They said, uh, you know, you've been going through, you've been pastoring us and doing quite, quite a lot. We've been blessed by your ministry. We need you and your pastor to go and rest. We need you to take a break. So we know it's a wedding anniversary coming up. What we want to do is to send both of you, <laughs> send both of you on the wedding anniversary trip. So they paid for the hotel. I'm telling you a true life story. Paid for the hotel, paid for everything, and uh, paid for our flight, and gave us a bit of change, US dollars. So when we get there. So my wife and I traveled, only for the agent to call us, buy them, he called us, and said that, they have, um, he's found the house, and the agreement we put in that he accepted our offer, that we will need $5,000. Hmm. Ah, five thousand. Where am I supposed to get $5,000? He said, no, 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 don't worry, Pastor. I have paid the money. When you come back, you can pay me. That's the problem, because when I come back, I don't have it. <laughs> it's a true life story. I don't have the 5000 Then suddenly you occurred to me, why this wedding anniversary uh, gift that they gave you in this hotel? This thing that is, you and your wife should be enjoying yourself. You better do something about it. <laughs> we slept only one night in that nice hotel. My wife and I, we went to the receptionist. We said, excuse me, he said, yeah. Uh, we said, um, you know, we don't like this hotel. The receptionist said, no, why don't you like the hotel? The hotel is a good hotel. We said, I said, ah. I said we don't like it. <laughs> we don't like the hotel. The hotel is a bit somehow, we find some things to complain about. He said, so what do you want to do now? We said, we want to check out and look for something. He said, oh, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. Then they checked us out. He said, what about the credit card they used in booking it? We said, we don't have it here. He said, so hope you won't mind if we give you cash. Ah, we said, we will not mind, give us the cash. <laughs> I'll tell you the true story. So the woman gave us the cash back. My wife and I, we looked at each other. We went to look for a 1999, 1999 hotel. <laughs> I said to her, you know, man, is it, where did the university is to look at your husband? Your <laughs> it's not the place you're sleeping. That's how we paid 29.99 for one hotel for three days or four days. We collect, the money we collected from that hotel, I'm telling you practically how it happened. Plus the $1,000 or so they gave us is was what we used when we came back to give to buy mm -hmm. To say, here is your 5000 back. That's how God sorted that part out with people down payment. It's that mortgage that is left. <laughs> I'm trying to say to you that you can't figure it out. But you know what? We moved from that place. We moved into our own house. Yes. From not being able to pay the mortgage, my wife got a fantastic job immediately. She was able to, we were able to pay our, for not being able to pay rent, we're now able to pay mortgage. And since that time, this is over 12, 13 years ago now, we have never one day missed the payment. God changed everything around. Give God some praise. So you can't sit down there and try to figure it out logically. It doesn't work out logically. You have to exercise faith in God. I've been through this. I can share many, many with you, but I won't belabor you. That I've seen the hand of the move of God. <laughs> Restoration. God can restore your dignity. Say amen, please. Amen. God can restore your dignity. Amen. God can restore everything you have lost. Amen. I did a business. I was doing it, my wife and I were doing a business in the country of Nigeria some years ago. 
about five, six years ago, business was booming seriously. It was doing very well in the city, in the capital city of Abuja. It was doing very well. At a time in the business, we had trusted somebody that happened to be a close family member, very close family member, and we trusted him. This man, and I'm not exaggerating, this man swindled us into serious levels of tens of thousands of dollars. That thing really hurt me. Not necessarily the money, but the closeness. The closeness, the trust, the betrayal of the trust. That thing really hurt me. I went to Nigeria. I remember very clearly. I went to Nigeria where it was spoke because he was a family member. And I remember in the process of it, God spoke to me and said he was going to restore everything. <laughs> because this is a lot of money. It's God said I'm going to restore everything. And that I should pray for the person. That's why when I teach on forgiveness, I tell people that. I've been through it. When God says you must forgive, I stood there and I, I, <laughs> I prayed for the person. And the person even had the grace to kneel down. He knelt down. <laughs> he knelt down. Everything in me said, give him a slap. <laughs> That's the way my body was feeling. Give him, give him a slap. Give him a blow. <laughs> but I prayed for him. I prayed for him. It was painful, but I did. I prayed for him and everything. And God said that he was going to restore me. You know, I came back within a year. And I'm not exaggerating. Within a year, God restored everything that was lost. I bought a new house. Within a new month. Yes, I bought a new house. I bought my car. Uh, I bought a car. I had all manners of investment that I had. Then just last year, I went back to Nigeria and called the man and said, you know, you're still struggling. But for me, God has restored me. I said, tell me what type of business you want to do. Mm. And I blessed him and I set him up the business again. Mm. For his own business. Mm. Ask his mm. Ask his Because God has blessed me. He, has he doesn't look at, I've not, I don't feel that I've lost anything. He said, I feel that I've gained everything. Mm. I know what I'm talking about. Like God, can, God can restore you. Yes. He can restore what, whatever it is that you have lost. I'm praying for somebody here today. May God bring a turnaround of restoration for you. Finally, and I've spoken a little bit about this, but this is critical. A turnaround also means multiplication. God, listen, the miracle of multiplication, Matthew chapter 14, verse 15 to 21, is one of the most critical miracles that every Christian must at least experience once in their lifetime. The miracle of multiplication. Matthew chapter 14, verse 15 to 21. This miracle of multiplication is not about a miracle of feeding. Please, first and foremost, understand something if you're as a Bible scholar. This is what you have to first understand. In the whole gospel, 89 chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters, there are only two stories that are repeated throughout the four gospels. Only two. Most of the stories are repeated in Matthew, Mark, Luke. John is slightly different. Is that true? Many stories in the book of John, there are only seven miracles that are recorded in the book of John. A lot of those miracles are unique to the book of John. Turning of the water to wine uh, is unique to the book of John. Healing of the son of the nobleman, <coughs> raising Lazarus from the dead, is unique to John. Are you following now? Yes. The man by the pool of Siloam in John chapter 5 is unique to John. John chapter 9, the blind man is unique to John. All these miracles are unique to the book of John. You don't see them in the rest. There are only two miracles that go through the whole four, four gospels. The first one is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for, for obvious reasons. The second one is the feeding of the 5,000. 
that tells you that that feeding of the 5,000 is a special type of miracle that God did that needs to be studied very well by every Christian to tap into. And it's not a miracle of feeding people. It's a miracle of multiplication. It's a miracle of taking something insignificant and turning it into something very significant. It's a miracle of taking something very small and in the blink of an eye, God turned it into something very major. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Amen. I didn't hear your amen today. Amen. One more time, let me hear an amen from somebody. Amen. God is a God of multiplication. He says, I will multiply you. I will multiply you. I will multiply you. Genesis chapter 35, verse 11. Genesis 35, 11. Let's take a quick look at that. Genesis 35, 11. God said to him, I am the almighty. And what he said is, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you. That's it. And God says, listen. God says, I am the almighty. God is a multiplier. He can multiply your effort. He can multiply your talent. He can multiply your gifting. But amazingly, he can multiply your opportunities. Amen. I have seen God multiply stuff. God wants to use Multiply the insignificant. The person that is looked down on today, in this service today, somebody that is looked down on or watching online, God wants to turn you from being looked down on into somebody significant in Jesus' name. I want to prophesy over this church and prophesy over the people listening to me today. Significant expansion and multiplication is coming your way in Jesus' name. Significant expansion, significant multiplication is coming your way in the name of Jesus. Significant expansion and significant multiplication is coming your way in the name of Jesus Christ. Multiplication. Multiplication. Very interesting. Multiplication. I have seen God multiply stuff. When I spoke about restoration a few minutes ago of my finances that God helped me with, one key thing God told me to do then is to understand the power of seed. As powerful as the miracle of multiplication is, you can never multiply anything by zero. It will become zero. Is that not true? Yes. That is why, listen very carefully, when, when in, Mark, in John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, John, let's start from verse 5. John chapter 6, verse 5. I'm going to show you some things now. John chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus lifted up his eyes. He saw a great multitude coming towards him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these people may eat? Verse 6 says, he himself knew what he would do. Okay? And they answered him, you can't 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient. To buy bread is the way to solve it naturally. To buy bread for the people that are there, number of people that are there, is the way of solving the problem naturally. But it's just that the natural solution was had limitations because they didn't have enough resources. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Yeah. So, Philip answered and said, it's not enough. Okay, verse 8. One of the disciples said to him, what did he say? Go on, go on, please. He said, there's a lad here with five loose. So, here now, you have two ways of solving the problem. You can either try and go and buy bread for these people, but that, that solution had a limitation. They were in a deserted place. The hour was late. The resources they presently have is not enough. So Jesus had to say, okay, we have to sort this thing out by tapping into the miracle of multiplication. But the, there's a problem with the miracle of multiplication. Before the miracle of multiplication can take place, 
It needs a seed. It requires a seed. Without a seed, there can be no multiplication. Without a seed, nothing will multiply. Listen very carefully. So Jesus said, but the people said, what are they? What are these among many people? Jesus said, all right. And I just did something in my hands. Then Jesus told the people to sit down. Keep going, please. And when they sat down, he took the loaves and he gave thanks. In the book of Matthew, chapter 14, Luke, chapter 9, Mark, chapter 6, this story is all there. The Bible says in those accounts, he took it and he looked up to heaven. Because the multiplication was going to come from heaven. He looked up to heaven and he, he, he gave thanks to God. He prayed and he took the bread. Then the Bible said he blessed it. He blessed the bread. He released the multiplication of the bread. And you know, the bread started multiplying. The fish started multiplying. It's an incredible thing that can happen with God. Listen, I have seen it. I know what I'm talking about. God can take people and multiply them. He can take your effort and multiply it. And when you see the result, you won't believe the effort. God can multiply it. Listen, listen. There are 365 days in a year. Is that all right? Yes. There are 365 days in a year. And so you, many people work for 2,000 hours in a year. That's uh, uh, the average. 2,000 hours in a year. 40 hours a week times 50 weeks. That's 2,000 hours. Two, two other weeks for holiday. Averagely, when economists calculate output and input in an economy, they just say 2,000 hours per person. Are you following? Yeah. Are you still following? Yeah. All right. You know, so you need to work 2,000 hours to make ex certain amount of money over a 365 day period. I have seen that God, David said, one day in your presence is better than a thousand days somewhere else. So one day is, can, you can have a multiplication of one day that can be equivalent to three years. I have seen God do that for me. You can have putting an effort of one week that can produce a result of three years. You can put in an effort in an exam that normally it will take you, it will take you 40 hours to study effectively to pass this exam. You can put in an exam and an and effort of five hours and you can excel. Somebody said, well, Pastor, I'm telling you what has happened to me. I did my GMAT in this country as a pastor. I was pastoring. When I said that, we did two services. A heavy, heavy program we were doing in church. And I had to sit my GMAT exam. My wife was in Nigeria. I was taking care of my son at home. And I had to start the research many, many years ago. And I had to write the GMAT exam that every normal person writes, that they go to library morning to night. And I told God, I, said, I remember one Sunday that I came back, I told God, I said, God, I've just finished preaching. I'm tired and fat down. The one hour or one and a half hours I'm going to read, multiply it. Multiply. And that's exactly what God did. When I was doing my MBA, they would give me papers to write and all of that. I'll go, to, I'll go, I'll preach, I'll come back to church in the evening. I'll sit down in the conference room. I remember and I will say a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, I need you. Multiply my effort. In the space of one and a half hours, everything I will write will just keep on coming to me. I'm praying for somebody here today. May God multiply your efforts. In the name of Jesus Christ. May God multiply your inputs. In the name of Jesus Christ. In science, there is something in science called mechanical advantage. In science. And I'm sure you might not have heard that word if you're not somebody giving to science, but you have seen it at work. You have seen, listen, you have seen road construction. You see this big truck that has a big arm, like a big hand, like that. 
you see a small little man sitting on top, sitting somewhere on the truck, moving a few levers, right? You've seen that. You, you, you can flow with what I'm saying. Yeah. And the man moves one lever, the big hand moves up, goes down, and packs some huge soil, right? Yeah. And the man moves it, moves it, moves it, and drops it in a, uh, maybe in another place or in another truck. In two or three, within 20 minutes, the man has cleared up a whole place. The man has not done anything. All he's doing is sitting in the car, in the glass, and moving some levers. And all that takes place is mechanical advantage. Now think of that. When you go to Ghana, sorry, <laughs> I have my friend here. You go to Ghana or Nigeria or any African country, you also see men digging, but they are using a digger. You take the digger, they lift it over their head. Then they hit the floor, boom. It makes only a little dent. And they'll do that from morning, 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. till about 5 p.m. Take a 30 minutes break or so. Sweating, working hard, big muscle and everything. And they will not have done what that big mechanical thing will do in 30 minutes. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. And the man in that little mechanical thing, moving levers, after the day's work, he jumps out, he's looking fresh. <laughs> like he has not done anything because the machine has done the work. That's what modification is. When your effort is multiplied, you push one small lever, boom, you get a big result. And everybody around you knows that that man sitting in that little caterpillar or big truck is not the one that carried the, the sword. Then you know that it's not the one. But you know that he pushed the button, but something happened after he pushed the button. Something else took over. I'm praying for you. As you pray tonight, the Holy Spirit will take over. Amen. In a place where you could not make a way, God will make a way for you. Amen. God will multiply your effort. Amen. Oh, your amen is weak tonight. God will multiply your effort. Amen. God will multiply your effort. Amen. What men are saying will take four years, five years. In the name of Jesus, in four months, you will already have it in Jesus. Amen. What should have taken you ten years? In ten months, you will have it in Jesus' name. Have taken you five years to get to what is in the next five months, you will reach that height. Amen. Oh, say a bigger Amen. in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So shall it be. Amen. So shall it be. Amen. Uh, quickly, just sit, take a seat, please, for one minute. I want to say one more thing, then I'm going to, I'm going to close. I just want to share one more testimony, quick one. In the year 2010, in the year 2010. We normally, of course, every church has watch night service. So in 2010, I just want to share something briefly. In 2010, I started feeling the sense that God wanted us to do something a bit different with our watch night service. In April of 2011, God gave me a word. I was reading my Bible, and I got to Luke chapter 3, verse 21, and I saw the word open heavens, which I've seen before. I've preached on it several times. And I saw the word open heavens. And I said, wow, and something, I couldn't leave that place. And God spoke to me and said, I should have this program at the watch night service called Open Heavens. Now, I want to share, share something very simple with you. Normally, normally, by the grace of the Almighty God, when I was in high school, my best subject was mathematics. So I'm giving to numbers. I'm giving to numbers. So I did a calculation from, I drew a graph from the first watch night service we did in our church, year 2000, to that 2010. And I saw the way the graph was growing. It was growing. So I said to myself, this new thing that God wanted us to do, listen very carefully. 
And I saw that the way God wanted us to do it, it was going to be way, way above the normal way of the graph. There's, it's not possible, logically. I didn't even have the whole idea nailed down. So how is this thing going to work? So I shared the idea, but I knew God has to come in. I shared the idea with some of my friends. I said to them that, you know, in church, I said to them that, you know, some, the team and the ministers, that we're going to be doing this program. We're going to be expecting 3,000 people. This was year 2011. They said, wow, 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 that's good, Pastor, that's good, Pastor. Then they went to print the poster. And in the poster, they wrote 3,500 people. I said, I'm still struggling to get 3,000. You're writing 3,005. I'm telling you a true life story. I didn't even yet know what I was going to do. I knew I was going to have to bring in some music artists, but I didn't know how it was going to work. 2011. June 2011. I was on, in the uh, Western Hotel. Western, the Western Hotel in, in Saga. We're having our CCG convention. I saw the man that blows the saxophone before Pastor Deboe preaches. His name is Kula Jai. I've known him for many, many years from London. I saw him. He was on the phone. So I greeted him. Hey, Pastor Pule. He didn't greet me properly. He was on the phone. He was busy with somebody. But he said, this is why you should not be taking offenses. He didn't greet me properly. He just, he just kind of like... So he continued on the phone. So I left him. I went upstairs. Did what I had to do. Then he came upstairs about after 15 minutes later. And said to me, Pastor Wally, I'm so sorry. When you were greeting me then, I couldn't greet you properly. I was on the phone. Then he mentioned the person he was on the phone with. And this was the man I had been trying to get for two years, two months <laughs> to come for the Open Heavens program. He said, I was on the phone with Lionel Peterson. I said, what? He said, Lionel Peterson. I said, are you serious? I said, please, can I have his number? He said, why? why? What, what? He, said, he, said, he said, oh, yeah, why not? He said, what, what do you want to do? I told him the program. He said, I'll call it for you right now. Yeah. A, a, something I have been looking for for two months. Just right there and there. He goes to the house. You know, and we did the program. We had 3,900 people. In that first one, it was more than twice what logically was possible. So you wonder, did God go to create new people? But you see, it was by multiplication. Someone say multiplication. multiplication. Oh, some people say, oh, well, you know, it's just a one-off. This thing's happening, you know, it's a one-off. It's because it just started. People just got excited about it. Well, we've done it eight times now. And every single year, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. What is my point? My point here is this. God can multiply your effort. Amen. God can do things that are way beyond logic. Part of the key is this. Remember, there's no multiplication without seed. That's why Psalm 126 verse 6 says, those that go bearing precious seed. He said, doubtless they will come back. The seed has to be precious. He said, doubtless they will come back. Shades of joy. So I want to challenge you today. What we're going to do tonight, we're going to pray in a few minutes, but I will want you to write an offering, to write a seed. Maybe write in a check, you make label it a seed. You are going to hold it in your hand with your offering. I will lead you in three prayer points. After that, I'm going to I'm going to take it and pray over you. You are going to trigger the grace for multiplication upon your life. Can I hear a name from somebody? You're going to trigger. The grace for multiplication upon your life. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Amen. Now, listen very carefully. I, talk, I spoke a little bit about this yesterday. We are giving through a church to God. It is giving to God. <clears throat> you want to tap into something in God. That's what we're doing. Uh, people that are with me, they know we do this all the time. We're tapping into something in God. 
Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to do that. If you're here and you will need one of these envelopes, please do ask the ushers to give you one. If you're watching online and you want to be part of it, please ask the ushers. So please, you can, I'm sure you, there are means online that you can use to do that. Let's sow a seed that God can multiply. The interesting thing about God is that when Jesus got to the, to the well of Siberia, he told that woman, he said, give me a drink. That's the first thing he asked the woman. Give me a drink. And the woman, after the conversation, Jesus now revealed to the woman that actually I have the waters that you will not have to come to this well again. But the first person he asked is, give me a drink. That's the same thing with God. Give me a drink. That's what he said. Give me a drink. You bring your seed. What do you have in your hand? Elisha asked the woman, what do you have in the house? So I wanted to sow a seed. If you're writing a check, make it payable to RCCG Christ Chapel. RCCG Christ Chapel. And I'm sure there are other means by which we can give in our, in our church here. You can give on the machine too? Yeah, we have yes. the POS. So there's the POS there. Please, let's, 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 let's do it. I want to pray. You're going to hold it in your hand as we pray. You're going to hold it in your hand as we pray. Just three quick prayer points to that. I'm confident in God. I've seen it. And you can, you can research the stories I've told you today. They are all, they are all uh, true stories. I'm, I'm trusting God with you that there will be very unusual very unusual multiplication in your lives. Amen. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Something very powerful will shift in your favor. Amen. God will turn things around in your favor. Amen. The wind will blow and blow out or blow up opportunities for you. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. An end has come to bad news in your life. Amen. An end has come to stagnation in your life. Amen. In the mighty name of Jesus. An end has come to sicknesses in your life. In the name of Jesus Christ. Today marks the beginning of a positive change. Oh, say a better aim. Today marks the beginning of a positive change. In the name of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage us. Let us, let us, let us give. Let us, let us. Hold it in your hand. Don't give it yet. We are going to pray with it. We are going to pray with it. I was in a, I was in a, in a church called Jesus House DC. Three years ago or so, four years ago, I preached in a prayer conference, Pastor Gandhi Olawi. About three days after I came back, a lady called me. Her name is Mayowa, Pastor Gandhi's assistant, uh, personal assistant at that time. She had told Pastor Gandhi the testimony, and Pastor Gandhi said, pick up the phone, call Pastor Wally. And she called me. She was going to sit an exam. She got to the examination hall. Her mind was black. Completely black. She didn't know what to write. She, she, couldn't, she couldn't figure anything out. This is Pastor Gandhi's personal sister, Maiwa. She said, all of a sudden, she remembered what we taught. And she remembered that God can save you in the day of trouble. Mm. But he has to remember your offering. Mm. She remembered that she had tapped into that. So she said to God, God, you are the God of Jacob. This is the day of trouble. Help me. All of a sudden, in the, in the defeat, boom, it was like her mind just opened up. She understood everything she needed to write. She started writing and writing and writing. She came out with that exam. Mayowa, she called me Pastor Gandhi Olawi's personal assistant at that time. This was 2015 or 2016, January, that I, I, I preached it. She called me and said, Pastor Wally, I came out of that exam. When the result came out, I scored the highest in that exam. It was, she said, Pastor, up to now, I can't remember. I can't tell you what I wrote. He said, but I know it was supernatural. 
These are, these are very valuable stories. That's why I'm mentioning some names. Listen, after tonight, there's no exam you write that you will fail again. Yeah. 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 God, remember, God will multiply your effort in Jesus' name. The right direction yeah. in the name of Jesus Christ. 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 Yeah. You won't have to. I showed you yesterday from Psalm 41, verse, verse 1 to 3. Listen, you won't have to go to the hospital again except you go and pray for somebody or you go and visit somebody that's just giving birth to a child. In the mighty name of Jesus. Yeah. Sickness in your body dies into in this place tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Any yoke, anybody that has been there in your family for years, for, for whatever how long it is, today the yokes are destroyed in Jesus' name. Amen. So shall it be. Amen. I want you to understand this as I say this over you today. Listen very carefully to what I'm saying. We are in the month of July. By the time we're taking the last quarter of this year. There will be a remarkable difference in your progress. Amen. There will be a remarkable difference in your progress. Amen. The people that know you today, when they see you by the month of October, they will be shocked. They will see a remarkable difference in your progress. Amen. They say a better amen. 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 